0: This is God's word. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, and must work, do something useful with their own hands, that they may not have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. The next reading is uh, Psalm chapter 1, 1 through 6, and that is on page 499 of your Bibles. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chafe that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Whether we find ourselves, um, we've never felt more distant than we do now. More numb to you or whether we feel uh, for the first time alive to something that you are doing in our life. Whatever our place that we come from, whatever our journey The truth is we are all the same in a, in a very important way before you. We are more of a mess than we care to admit to anyone. And your response to that is to move towards us in grace so that we might know ourselves now to be more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And that is your love to us and for us. We ask now, From every place we find ourselves, may we be met with your love, and may we hear your grace now for our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, How people change. Today our topic is the thorns, um, which if you've looked at this book by uh, Lane and Tripp, you kind of get some of the imagery. Two trees, one bearing fruit, one bearing thorns. Our lives are full of thorns. Let me read you a couple of vignettes. Andy is overwhelmed by problems in his marriage to Joyce and the burden of parenting four young children. Although he maintains the appearance of a happy Christian family, he finds it increasingly hard to face his responsibilities at home. Work has become a refuge. Since he owns his own business, he can justify the early mornings and the late nights that keep him away from the pressures he feels at home. Andy. Andy's full of thorns. Nikki. Nikki didn't know why she was down. She just was. When she thought about it, she realized that she has more down days than up days. She hated the way she looked. Her weight made her self-conscious and insecure. She had trouble keeping the house clean and neat. She tried each new diet book and every book on on the keys to domestic success, but they only left her feeling more defeated. Nikki has thorns. Bill. Bill says it clearly when he talks about his unfaithful wife. I'd like to see her hurt the way she hurt me. He is unaware that this thought shapes all his responses to Jenny. The constant criticism, the lack of cooperation that now make their marriage difficult, are really forms of vengeance. Thorns. Joan. Joan has thorns. Joan is always on the lookout for potential disrespect. Recently, her boss asked all the women in her department to lunch, everyone except Joan. Joan was hurt and angry to be so publicly disregarded. The next day, Joan confronted her boss, only to learn that she had not been asked to attend because the boss was happy with her performance. <laughs> but he did have concerns about the rest of her department. Thorns. Tom, ha- Tom is cold and distant. I'm sorry. Tom's cold and distant dad has made life tough at home. But Tom's life has been made even tougher by his own anger and rebellion. He probably won't finish high school. He has already had his driver's license revoked. But when Tom looks at the trouble in his life, he lays all of his failures at his dad's feet, making what is already hard even more difficult. Thorns. Our lives are more thorny than we care to admit. And someone says, you know, I have this person over here that I'm annoyed with for you know the obvious things that they're doing that, that just bother me and that get in my way. I've got this person over here that I'm abrasive with, but they deserve it. I've got this person over here that I avoid because I see them as someone who's toxic, really, for my own uh, personal outlook and in, in development in life. And I haven't even started talking about my family or my uh, roommate or my in-laws. We're thorny. We're thorny in our relationships. We're thorny in our inner workings of our life and our heart. And we wonder sometimes about change. How much change can we expect? Is change going to happen in myself and someone else? did you look at this scripture passage well both of them both of them really but just looking at the ephesians chapter 4 passage it comes out pretty strong at the beginning and you think that that this this writer the apostle paul is is doing some kind of classic religious railing against the outside world for their you know their naughtiness um, and it seems kind of harsh, almost like you just want to close the book with all the, all some of those harsh sayings at the beginning. You know, the futility of their thinking, their ignorance due to the hardening of their hearts, and they indulge in every kind of impurity. And you're just going, whoa, 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 whoa. But, you know, if you kind of put your thinking cap on with what's going on in this little interaction, you see that he's actually not coming off saying, those people out there need to change, or even we inside the, you know, the... The church, or we have it together and we're better, but he's actually saying, kind of the bigger picture of this argument here is um, he's heard back from this church that he was the founding pastor of, and he's heard now that there's sort of a, well, let me put it this way. He's writing them to tell them, you know, there should be at least some difference in the way you as a Christian community is living from the sort of unrestrained thorniness of the culture around you. There should be at least some, but he's hearing back, reports that seem to say, they're just kind of, let it all go. And really, the bigger bigger principle in all of this is, the Bible expects that in the Christian community and in the Christian life, that there will be actual, noticeable, tangible change. Um. The expectation is in the Bible that those who come in contact with the good news of Jesus, the gospel we talk about, will begin little by little to be a little less angry, maybe in some given relationship, a little less rough around the edges or a little less abrasive. Little by little, someone is becoming more inclined to forgive earlier on in conflict situations. Or someone's becoming a little more likable in general by the people around them because they're getting less judgmental in the things they're saying about others. Or they're just... Somebody wakes up some morning and they realize over the last two years they have just... In terms of criticism in their life, they realize it doesn't cripple me like it used to. Or their insecurities about their accomplishments in life or about their physical appearance are starting to fade all of this, because of the Gospel, because of the good news of Jesus, now how does that work? This passage gives us two concepts really that that help bring it alive because there 's a mystery to it there 's a um, definitely this this pretty bold statement to say expect change, but how how does that work? two things it 's compared to dressing and it 's compared to imitating so let 's first of all let 's look at dressing. How does this passage help us understand change by the, the idea of Getting dressed, putting clothes on. Well, you look at verses uh, 4 to 22 through 25 in Ephesians chapter 4, and it says you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, and then verse 23 um, to uh, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. And then verse 25: Therefore, each of you must put off Falsehood. It, let's just look particularly at that metaphor of putting on and putting off. It's it's words used. If you even go back to the Greek words that these are translated from, it's words used to talk about getting dressed, putting on clothes, taking taking off clothes, putting on new clothes. And and then the the trick about it is the interesting uh, part that's added to it is you notice it's not just something you do. You put on and you take off. It is There is something also done for you. Notice the verbs that are a little more passive, like to be made new in the attitude of your minds or to put on the new self, created to be like God. So you see the interplay between something you do and something done for you. Imagine it like this. Imagine there's this world... our world maybe comes to this: you can steal the movie idea if if you think it you know it'll make it in a the screenplay. There's a world where everyone's walking around in rags. <laughs> there, there's a clothing shortage, and it's so severe that really people are putting up with clothes that that chafe, and there's just not much It's whatever you can throw together, and it, and it's comprehensive. You just don't see anybody wearing who, who's walking around wearing great threads. You know, it's just everybody is in rags. And then rumors start to uh, spread that there's this this very strange thing that 's happening that that a box of clothes will just show up at your doorstep with your name on it and they 'll be amazing they'll be perfect perfect fit and of course then people are very skeptical about this and they they doubt that this is even possible that anything like this um, could be real. And even those who maybe are, who have seen it at work, there's different responses that people are having towards this clothing-in-a-box uh, program, if you will. One kind of person s- says, you know, I don't need someone from the outside to, to give me new clothes. I'm fine. My clothes are totally fine. And it's just kind of the scoff and the, the brushing it away and laughing at even the idea that someone could, you know, make these clothes better than what I've put together myself. And meanwhile, this person carries on with life, the clothes chafe, and the wardrobe malfunctions abound. So that's one kind of person. Maybe another kind of person is saying, well... You know, I'm vehemently against this kind of clothing in a box program. I mean, that's such a. I mean, this is that that's for people who are so naive and emotionally unstable. You know, the kind of people who don't even know how to make their own clothes. And there's another kind of person who, like, when the box comes, they open it up eagerly, but something happens and they're not even they're not really even able to explain why they never really actually put on the clothes. And somehow that box went from the, by the front door to out on the porch to maybe up in the attic above the garage, and just only occasionally is that, does that thought come up, I could go out and try them on. And then there's like the people, really, if you put the, the Christians from Ephesus that the Apostle Paul is writing to in this passage, if you put them into this um, really amazing metaphor that I just put before you, <laughs> if, if you put them in the, um, the clothing crisis world, you know who they are? They're the people who they have put on the clothes initially and had them on for a long time. But at some point, they actually traded them back for the rags. They put them back in the box. And they put on those old, chafing, prickly rags. And they're walking around talking about how, oh yeah, we're, we're part of that clothe-in-a-box thing. You know, we're we're all for that. And so Paul's kind of writing to them going get those out of the box again and put them on it really makes sense that we would default towards this towards what the people in this um, in the church of Ephesus did because you know well what do we want and what do the religions tell you mostly what you're told is you know here's your box open it up there's a sewing machine inside and a lot of fabric get to work make your clothes and we don't always like how How much is done for us when it comes to God's grace? When it comes to what the Christian faith invites you to do, comes to you. And you know what? The Christian faith is not about making people who are capable of creating their new self and making their new self. It's into it's into having people who are humble enough to receive the new self that's handed to them and to put it on. We look at the box and we say, Oh, goody, I'm going to open up the box called Christianity and I'm going to get really good at it. The Bible kind of points us towards this humility that says, No, I'm going to admit that I'm really just thorny in what happens in my life and in the path that I produce and that I choose and that my clothes are prickly and they're actually restricting my movements and alienating people around me. And these clothes that have been made for me are better than what I could produce. So I'm going to put them on. I'm going to try the good life. And that's the invitation to all of us through this metaphor. Put it on. Try it. And some, I know some of you, maybe you're in this place, you certainly have friends who, who if you're to put yourself in this metaphor, you know, the person who says, yeah, I don't re- I don't know if I trust the, the bigwigs behind this, Clothing in a Box program. I mean, aren't they just out to, to control and to restrict us and to confine our life with their uniforms? And there's a view towards God that, that might be like that. And the, again, the invitation of this passage is, well, have you, have you ever actually stopped and tried it on? Have you ever stopped and just put yourself into the framework of the Christian faith Try it on, see how it feels, look in the mirror, and then decide, have you tried it on? It's a simple invitation. It goes for everyone. Now, there are certain holes in the clothing metaphor. There are certain things that don't, aren't completely explained. And so we have to move on to the second, second um, image, which I think is really helpful. It's the imitation concept. Imitation concept. As this passage comes to a close in verses thirty two and even carrying over into chapter five, verse one and two it 's all about imitation, and this is really where the heart of the mystery of Christian change comes out imitation there 's two kinds of imitation really let 's start with this You see a child you see an eight year old very common to see children imitating older children. So you see an 8-year-old imitating an 11-year-old and you look at it and you kind of laugh and you say, you know, you can kind of see the strangeness of an 8-year-old trying on 11 or 12-year-old behaviors and, and it doesn't quite really fit and so you just kind of chuckle and you see it happening. That's one kind of imitation. I see this happening over there. I'm going to try to imitate it. I'm going to try to, it, to, try to do that myself. There's another kind of imitation. You picture an 8-year-old who um, is saved his life is saved by uh, from a speeding train coming at him because of an 11-year-old sees the danger and grabs him and takes him off the tracks. Now, when that 8-year-old grows a couple years older and, and he's 11 and he looks and sees an 8-year-old little girl on the tracks or in danger, then suddenly the, f- the, the deep connection to the fear and the deep connection to the the joy of a new lease on life is so visceral and so deep that then when that child jumps and rescues and saves another one from danger, well, now you've got a different kind of imitation. You've got someone imitating the very... You've got someone who's experienced the very thing that they're imitating with their life. That's really where the Christian faith leads you and keeps pointing to as the source, the lasting source of any kind of change, any kind of progress that you're going to make in this life, in the life of a growing heart of love. So, I mean, what does that look like? You look at this passage, it's really quite striking how there's a lot of talk of, you know, just put on, just do this, don't do that, but then it comes down to the end and striking what the source of it all is. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And then moving into chapter 5, these last closing statements to summarize kind of the whole teaching beforehand. Follow God's example. Imitate, right? And walk, or no, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you've got this situation where with this one particular person, you've got a very justified anger that you're hanging on to. But a little light bulb or red flag goes off in your head and you realize how angry you are and how you're not letting go and then you think, think, wait a second. There is a, a legitimate anger... That God had towards me that was displaced towards his son so that, because he so badly wanted to be reconciled with me and for our relationship to be at peace, that he suspended and found a way to deal with that anger so that I could be so deeply connected to them that I would call him my that he would call me his child and I would call him father. Oh. Maybe I can find a way to let go a little quicker with my anger in this situation towards reconciliation. Maybe that's kind of how I operate now. This, is, this person over here, I have words of judgment for them that probably if I verbalize them, and I'm thinking about verbalizing it, would come off really as condemnation. But you know, they're right, and I can back them up. And then the sort of light bulb goes up. But wait a minute. In my relationship with God, didn't His legitimate words of judgment get displaced and the burden of judgment land on His own Son? So that the words that I would hear are, You are my child whom I love. I am well pleased. Come home. How does that maybe change how I talk to someone else? Um... I'm annoyed with this person over here because their behavior seems toxic for me and for my journey. Well, wait a minute. How toxic was my own heart when God looked at me and said, I will offer you my forgiveness. I will not avoid connecting myself with you and associating myself with you. I'll move towards you instead of avoiding you. I wonder if that's going to change how I deal with these other people in my life. I wonder if the fact that this is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 5 as Christ's love that is given to us as an offering, as a sacrifice. I wonder if in my relationships with others, I'll start to take a hit. I'll start to sacrifice and allow some of the toxicity of others and the thorniness of others poke into me a little more willingly as God did for my thorniness. In the equation of the cross of Jesus, You know, if you take all the elements in the equation of the cross of Jesus, one of them is you. And to to draw into this kind of imitation, that is, you've experienced what you're attempting to imitate, you need to find yourself more and more in the equation of the cross. You need to find your specific thorniness being dealt with already by Jesus on the cross. Jesus, who was actually allowed himself to get... Captured, arrested, flogged. They took his clothes off. They undressed him, soldiers. They took his clothes off. They beat him. He was he was he was humiliated. He became completely vulnerable. He wasn't wearing anything. They you know what they did put something on him. You know what it was a, a article of clothing of sorts, and they pounded it onto him to make sure it fit. A crown of thorns. Thorns. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, says that he was pierced for our transgressions. And in a very real, real way, you're invited to, to see the cross as a place where your thorniness is carried by the suffering of Jesus. And that is your new source of change. That moves you away from. I mean, the one approach would be a kind of cosmetic, uh, superficial kind of tr- trying to be a certain way. And there's this other way that deals with the heart. There's this other way that deals with the identity. And so when chapter five verse one says um, this comment about as dearly loved children of God, if you if you really read the Bible a lot, you you see a reference to the being a child of God, and you go, oh. That's identity language. That's when the Bible is trying to get at this idea that our we have a new identity given to us. You're a child of God now, and that begins to, and that happened on the cross. That was given to you when your thorniness was born by Jesus, and so, um, moving towards this kind of life change, this kind of lasting change, this kind of. Uh, more catalytic type of change from the inside involves moving towards that and accepting that. And so we we have, I don't know if this is your first time here, you maybe have never noticed this, but on page four of the worship guide, there are some prayers that are to be used, you know, at your desire during the time of communion. It's titled Prayers of Meditation for Those Not Communing. And one of them is, maybe, maybe it's the prayer that will help you reconnect or connect for the first time with this kind of experience of grace Lord Jesus I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever before believed but through you I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope thank you for paying my debt bearing my punishment on the cross and offering forgiveness and new life knowing that you have been raised from the dead I turn from my sins and receive you as Savior and Lord um, this is a prayer that combines the putting on of the clothes and the imitating of an experience that I want to kind of I want to keep going back to. This is a prayer not just prayed once by a, you know as an entrance prayer coming into the Christian faith, but the kind of prayer that's prayed over and over to re-familiarize and even reconnect with the experience of what you're trying to imitate, the grace that has been given to you when your thorns were born on the cross. So. Whether your faith has, you feel it, it has sort of a limpness to its imitation, a sort of styrofoam character, and you're hoping for it to be a little more lively, a little more creative, perhaps, a little more intuitive and from within, or whether for the first time you're becoming alive to the possibility of God's grace, but you know, there's just still that hesitation and those barriers. Either way, think about Jesus. Because what's required of you really is the same in either case. Think about how Jesus was undressed and disrobed completely into a vulnerable state for you. And ask yourself if you can't perhaps undress and disrobe your heart of its defenses. If you can, with a prayer like this or a prayer more just from your own words... If you can, the grace and the mercy of God is waiting. It's, it's right there ready to flood your life in such a way that the change will come on its own. Will you pray with me, please? God of grace, even accepting and receiving and putting on the clothes of a new life is sometimes we feel like it's out of our power. We feel powerless to do even what, even even to accept it, the barriers are, are many. Our the stubbornness of our hearts perhaps are great. So will you help us? And will you, for some of us this morning, break through in a way that we've been longing for? Will you break through? Begin to show us that flood of grace that really does apply to the thorny stuff that we've been processing over the last two, three, five, ten years to no avail. Will You deal with it? Will You convince us You have dealt with it? Help us through Your Holy Spirit. Amen.